Well, good morning, everyone. It won't have escaped your notice, I'm sure, that Thursday was Ascension Day. And Ascension Day is when we remember that uh, instant in Jesus' life when uh, something really extraordinary happened. And it was, it was part of a whole chain of events of something that was, was going on through the whole uh, period of, of his, his life, his death, his resurrection and uh, Pentecost, which of course is next week. And, and Ascension and Pentecost really uh, go together or they're, they're important parts in a whole chain of events. And this is, we started last week with Josh, a series on thinking about faith and looking at faith. And really this is to continue that, but it's also to, to note these particular moments, I suppose, because they're important. And in our own particular kind of church background, uh, we tend not to make so much of Ascension, perhaps just because it doesn't happen at a weekend. It's always, it's always 10 days before Pentecost. So I thought um, we'd have a little bit of a look at Ascension this week, and then and next week we're going to look a little bit at Pentecost and particularly the difference that it made in people's lives. So uh, there are three things about Ascension that seem to me important, which I'm going to try to, to cover. The first is... Um, uh, by the way, if you haven't read it, um, I did send an out a note out uh, earlier in the week. It's the beginning of Acts. Uh, we'll save a little bit of time by not reading it now. But let me read uh, this verse. This is Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 7. The Father alone has the authority to set those dates. The, the apostles had just asked, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? Um, but they're not for you to know, Jesus said. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud whilst they were watching, and they could no longer see him. In, uh, in Jewish understanding, and actually throughout scripture, God's realm, God's, God's place of dwelling is always depicted as above us. And you can see this in so many different images and examples that were given. So, for instance, at the Garden of Eden, we don't normally think of the Garden of Eden as on a hill, but actually the Garden of Eden is depicted scripturally as, as on a hill. And one of the clues for that is that there were, um, the, the depiction we're given is that there were rivers that flowed out from it and water goes downhill. Uh, it did then, even, uh, even all that time ago. So that must have been up a hill. Um, last week we heard about Abraham and Isaac and Abraham took Isaac up the mountain to prepare him for a sacrifice. It was going nearer to where Abraham, uh, who had a really kind of basic understanding of God, but it was going up a mountain to where he believed he would be closer with God. The burning bush, of course, was on a mountain. The Ten Commandments were given on a mountain. Um, and then when Jesus comes along, a lot of the time when he went off to pray, he went up a mountain to pray. It was though he was, he was somehow not just getting away from the crowds, but he was able to commune with his father better there. And then uh, the transfiguration, which is the most extraordinary uh, story for us, happened on a mountain. They went high up a mountain. And in that place, there was this kind of uh, close interaction between heaven and earth. 
And the one of the key points of the ascension, strangely enough, is that Jesus ascended. He went to heaven. Now, there are two important points to note here. The first is that um, he didn't go so much as he was taken. Um, I, I had this, I always wondered how it happened. And I, I, I knew Jesus didn't have a jetpack, but I imagine somehow he, he had that and he kind of zoomed off through the clouds. But it wasn't, it wasn't his action that took him to heaven. He was lifted up. Go back, read through it carefully. You'll see it. He was lifted up to heaven. That's the first thing. And the second thing is this. He wasn't returning to heaven because he hadn't ever been to heaven in the first place. Remember, Jesus was a man and the, the human part of him had never been to heaven. When he, uh, the incarnation was the arrival of, of God's word, the, the expression of God through his word, as uh, John chapter one tells us. And in fact, some translations call it the living expression or the, the logic of God. That came to earth and there was some kind of miraculous interaction between God and the person Mary in order to produce the baby who grew to become Jesus. So as Jesus ascends to heaven in this story, he's not going back to somewhere that he's been. He's being taken up because of the life that he's lived, because of the obedience that he's shown, because of the sacrifice that he's made and because of the process that is going on. Jesus goes into heaven as a man in order to make a way for everybody else who would believe in him to go. Now, whether that is physically up, it's I'm not even going to speculate about. It's being transferred from the, the environment that's bounded by the, the physical sense that, that we know into the environment where... God's realm is perfectly and fully expressed. That's the first point. Here's the second point. Just before he goes, there's this interaction between him and the disciples. Are you going to restore the kingdom? Now to them, that meant a military kingdom. It meant a physical kingdom where they weren't ruled by the Romans and they could be masters of their own destiny and, and so on. They, they knew it had a bit more to it than they imagined, but they thought it was that, that that Jesus was going to do. And Jesus said, look, it's not even for me to know. It's only the Father who, who can give that. But what he will give you is the Holy Spirit. And I'm going back in order to ask him to, to send it. You will get power and you will have this, this power to be able to tell people and to demonstrate to people what the kingdom is all about and what my life in you is all about. So the purpose of Jesus returning, and, and this is why it's significant for us, if Jesus had not gone back to heaven, he wouldn't, or gone to heaven, sorry, <laughs> Jesus had not gone to heaven, he wouldn't have been able to go and prepare a way for us. And if you read through John 14, 15, 16, you'll see that that was what Jesus was telling his followers, even though they didn't really understand it at the time. So Jesus goes to heaven so that something can be sent back to us so that the, the expression of God cannot just be seen in Jesus, one physical person in one place at one time, but so it can be experienced by all believers right across the globe in all times. So that something that is 
was in a sense limited to to one person, even though it wasn't limited in that person. It grows so that it can be accessed by everybody at any time in any place. And that's what happens at, at Pentecost. But that couldn't have happened without this relational interaction between the son going back to the father and asking him to do that for the rest of, of his brothers and sisters. And the power that was received was for people to be witnesses. Um, in this, this version I'm reason, reading here, it says, I think um, you, you can be witnesses. But in other versions, uh, it talks about, uh, uses different words. Even the word martyr can be derived from this. That's not that everybody had to, to die for their faith. But the, the power of the expression of God within people would be so strong that it would provoke a reaction, a response from people around them. Jesus going to heaven is not about sending power so that we could have loads of meetings or so that we could um, you know, have loads of, of blessing just to keep to ourselves. It's the power that comes to believers in order that they can be witnesses, in order that they can show the life of God to other people. So that's the second thing. And the third thing is this, look at the effect of the, the instructions of Jesus. Jesus had previously said to them, look, just don't go anywhere, don't do anything, just wait until this expression of power comes. And that's exactly what they did. So we know in the period between Ascension and Pentecost, which is 10 days, they were of one mind, of one heart, and they, they prayed together. There was a huge sense of expectancy that they had. And as I was thinking about this, it occurred to me that there's a little bit of a parallel with where we as a church are right now. We have a sense of expectancy. We're in, we've received the, the gift of the Holy Spirit and he has brought to us the whole of the life of heaven, not just so that we can know God's goodness and peace internally, but so that we can give that away to anybody else who, who wants it. But as well as that, there is a sense of expectancy at the moment. And in terms of all that's happening in the church, in terms of uh, tomorrow, for instance, uh, we're all expecting to being able to go into a cafe or a restaurant or something like that. That'll be great, and I'm looking forward to it as much as everybody else. But really what I'm looking forward to is what God will do in us as a church and in his people. And we have hopes, we have dreams and desires, and yeah, a building is part of that, and being able to meet together is part of that, and they, they all have their place but they are not the key thing. The key thing is the expectancy we have of God himself. And I encourage us all to, to be united in our hearts and in our intentions as we wait for the Lord to move among us. Okay? And I'll, I'll do my best to carry on with this explanation next week. <laughs>